0: This podcast should not be considered as medical or legal advice. If you are looking for such advice, then do contact a professional. But do find someone that has a brain and can think critically about what's going on in the world today. This is the Collective Resistance Podcast with your hosts, Leo and Fabiola. We will be discussing why we find ourselves resisting the narratives of the Common Collective, as well as why the Common Collective resists new information. Fabiola, how are you doing? I am. Oh, 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 I I muted you. I'm (laughs)
1: muted. I'm doing good, Leo. How are you? Well, I
0: mean, we're a little frustrated, right? Because uh, we were going to have Peggy Hall. On the podcast, but we had some technical difficulties, yes, and so uh, it
1: wasn't meant to be. So today. we've
0: rescheduled with her for later in the month, and we'll uh, we'll get well, that later this week. Oh, is it later this week? Oh, okay, yeah. okay, excellent. So next week it'll be there for next uh-huh. week. But there was an episode that I wanted to do, which was related to an article, and I'm gonna. I'll just say right off the bat, I am ripping it off. Uh, as I, I, I am stealing this idea from another guy that I follow his podcast and. Uh, um, I will link to his episode on this as well and uh uh that that is uh what is it tangentially speaking with Chris Ryan you guys know Chris Ryan some of you listeners and you may have caught this episode so I'm I'm essentially going to recreate kind of what he did it was essentially he's going to read this this article which is what you can't say by Paul Graham and uh then you know we're going to comment in between because I really Felt like this was uh, uh, just an on-point article. I mean, just it's just something where it kind of captures what's going on. And this was written in '04, but it's just so much more prescient even today. You know, with what all's going on. And so, uh, um, well, what do you think about that idea, Fabio?
1: That is a great idea.
0: As far as kind of salvaging our afternoon here of recording. Yes. Well, let's jump in then, okay? So let's go ahead. Uh, What You Can't Say by Paul Graham from January of 04. Have you ever seen an old photo of yourself and been embarrassed at the way you looked? Did we actually dress like that? We did. And we had no idea how silly we looked. It's the nature of fashion to be invisible, in the same way the movement of the earth is invisible to all of us riding on it. What scares me is that there are moral fashions, too. They're just as arbitrary and just as invisible to most people, but they're much more dangerous. Fashion is mistaken for good design. Moral fashion is mistaken for good. Dressing oddly gets you laughed at. Violating moral fashions can get you fired, ostracized, imprisoned, or even killed. If you could travel back in a time machine, one thing would be true no matter where you went. You'd have to watch what you said. Opinions we consider harmless could have gotten you in big trouble. I've already said at least one thing that would have gotten me in big trouble in most of Europe in the 17th century, and did get Galileo in big trouble when he said it, that the Earth moves. It seems to be a constant throughout history. In every period, people believed things that were just ridiculous and believed them so strongly that you would have gotten in terrible trouble for saying otherwise. Is our time any different? To anyone who has read any amount of history, the answer is almost certainly no. It would be a remarkable coincidence if ours were the first era to get everything just right. It's tantalizing to think we believe things that people in the future will find ridiculous. What would someone come coming back to visit us in a time machine have to be careful not to say? That's what I want to study here. But I want to do more than just shock everyone with the hearsay du jour. I want to find general recipes for discovering what you can't say in any era. So what do you think? I know it's been a while since you heard that episode. I was even Uh trying to remind you of it. But I mean, what comes to mind when I kind of tee that up?
1: Did he record that? Was his recording current or was it the episode was old too?
0: No, I mean, we listened to it when he published the episode, which was back in the summer of uh, twenty twenty. And okay. so he was reading an article from two thousand four mm-hmm. um, and and then commenting on it. but uh, I mean, to me, I, I love that idea of, uh, you know, we believe thing if people if people were to come back, there would clearly be things that that um well, actually, he says it's tantalizing to think we would believe things that people in the future will find ridiculous.
1: huh. Oh, yes. I, you was, know? I was having a conversation with my family yesterday, and my dad is um, doing some research on the origins of, of uh, mankind. And he was noticing, going through the Bible and other research he's been doing, that there is a big gap between you know, the primates, and then what happened in between that and the era of the Bible. And then he started talking about, you know, how we have evolved like viruses evolve. And when he said that, I thought it was interesting because that is a that is a topic that probably, hopefully, in, I don't know, a few decades, people are going to think "Oh, you believe that <laughs> These these things that nobody has ha, had ever seen cause disease because I've looked at many of the studies. I mean, we looked at many of the studies and and have come to the conclusion that yes, how can you separate all the chemicals that you use to say you're isolating a particle and that's causing disease and then you're saying it's not alive?
0: Well, it, it's interesting because. Uh, especially the example you gave, because we know after diving in that, that um, even the scientific community at large, like even what you might consider the mainstream scientific community actually sees the immune system as something more complex in the actual halls of where they're studying it. But in the uh, world of what's, uh, um, you know, published to the layman, it's still this very simplistic Model of antibodies, yeah, and and uh, there's these viruses that come in, you need to stimulate a response. When we know now that there are many levels of immune, or really what we describe as the immune system,
1: but there might not even be an right, there might system. not even be.
0: It, it, it's just the way the homeostasis occurs within the body with the, the biome and all it of that, it
1: could be that, or it could be something else. I mean, we don't know what it is, but it's just interesting that we end up deriving ideas for other things like the evolution of mankind really because we don't know a lot of the stories in the storybooks might not even be true we don't know we were not we weren't there right
0: well, well the- so we
1: have to be able to discuss it but going back to uh the things that you can't say like it was something i felt like i can't even talk about this with you because it's so foreign to your belief that you wear. So you're afraid
0: he's going to blow up?
1: It's not. It's just that he feels like our realities have become so different because nobody looks, even if the source is available, it could still be deemed the source of the story. Okay, let's say a study of patient zero, COVID patient zero. Even if you read the paper with all okay it's not that easy to read but even if you do go ahead and take a stab at it and read it or you have some other uh, scientific person read it you start understanding that the the narrative or the the story circulating or the belief that the most um accepted belief out there has nothing to do with the original story
0: yeah yeah. Well well this is this is a pretty meaty article, so let's dive in. There's different sections here. So let's go ahead and and dive into the, the next portion here called the conformist test. Let's start with a test. Do you have any opinions that you would be reluctant to express in front of a group of your peers? If the answer is no, you might want to stop and think about that. If everything you believe is something you're supposed to believe, could that possibly be a coincidence? Odds are it isn't. Odds are you just think what you're told. The other alternative would be that you independently considered every question and came up with the exact same answers that are now considered acceptable. That seems unlikely because you'd also have to make the same mistakes. Map makers deliberately put slight mistakes in their maps so that they can tell when someone copies them. If another map has the same mistake, that's very convincing evidence. Like every other era in history, our moral map almost certainly contains a few mistakes, and anyone who makes the same mistake... Probably didn't do it by accident. It would be like someone claiming they had independently decided in 1972 that bell bottom jeans were a good idea. If you believe everything you're supposed to now, how can you be sure you wouldn't also have believed everything you were supposed to if you had grown up among the plantation owners of the pre Civil War South? or in Germany in the 1930s, or among the Mongols in 1200, for that matter. Odds are you would have. Back in the era of terms like well-adjusted, the idea seemed to be that there was something wrong with you if you thought things you didn't dare say out loud. This seems backward, almost certainly, but is something wrong with you if you don't think things you don't dare say out loud? Trouble. What can't we say? One of the... One way to find these ideas is simply to look at things people do say and get in trouble for. Of course, we're not just looking for things we can't say. We're looking for things we can't say that are true, or at least have enough chance of being true that the question should remain open. But many of the things people get in trouble for saying probably do make it over this second lower threshold. No one gets in trouble for saying that 2 plus 2 is 5, or that people in Pittsburgh are 10 feet tall. Such obviously false statements might be treated as jokes, or at worst as evidence of insanity, but they are not likely to make anyone mad. The statements that make people mad are the ones they worry might be believed. I suspect the statements that make people maddest are those they worry might be true. If Galileo had said that people in Padua were 10 feet tall, he would have been regarded as a harmless eccentric. saying the earth orbited the sun was another matter. The church knew that this would set people thinking certainly as we look back on the past this rule of thumb works well a lot of the statements people got in trouble for seem harmless now so it's likely that visitors from the future would agree with at least some of the statements that get people in trouble today do we have no galileos not likely to find them keep track of opinions that get people in trouble and start asking could this be true okay it may be heretical or whatever modern equivalent but might it also be true? So, I mean, what what better thing than you know what we're finding right now? You know, because we're not really allowed to have that open debate. Mm-hmm. And in, in, in when
1: it when could is that be a cast cast off or cast out? How do you say that of society?
0: Like, oh wait, a, yeah, a, a cast out, yeah, a cast a out, cast
1: of, out of society for for certain for for family at least for. You know, if we think about family, you know, there's so much you can't say that you can discuss without, I mean, see the example of our family trip in the fall, (laughs) you know, you, I mean, there's a family relationship severed now because I just felt like I had to speak my truth
0: right right and there's so it was
1: either me speaking my truth or me staying silent which i would just have to repress that inside me for some reason and you know pretend i didn't hear what the other person said
0: well but we have this you know we have this polarized society right now where the each side doesn't want to hear the other and and mm-hmm. partially i think that's because you know they don't they don't want information that makes it a little bit more cloudy or a little bit more in the gray zone. You know, they don't want that. But, um, you know, I think that's where... I mean, you and I certainly, we sit on well, one side of... Well, that's an
1: assumption, too, I think. It's because you don't want to rock the boat or you don't want to be a cast out. And therefore, there's just certain things that you were told you don't talk about.
0: Right. Well, I mean, and, and so... This is what I'm getting at, though. But like he's talking about the Galileos of the world. I mean, I mean, certainly we have lots of Galileos. We we've featured a lot of them on the podcast.
1: And Galileo could be a total sham too.
0: Well, right. We've we, we've <laughs> talked about that, but um, don't go there.
1: <laughs> <laughs> See,
0: <laughs> you can't say that you heretic. Um, all right. Well, let, well. Speaking of of heresy, let's 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 continue here heresy. This won't get us all of the answers, though. What if no one happens to have gotten in trouble for a particular idea yet? What if some idea would be so radioactively controversial that no one would dare express it in public? How can we find these two? Another approach is to follow that word heresy. In every period of history, there seem to have been labels that got applied to statements to shoot them down before anyone had a chance to ask if they were true or not. Blasphemy, sacrilege, and heresy were such labels for a good part of Western history, as in more recent times, indecent, improper, and un-American have been. But... By now, these labels have lost their sting. They always do. By now, they're mostly used ironically, but in their time, they had real force. The word defeatist, for example, has no particular political connotations now, but in Germany in 1917, it was a weapon used by Ludendorff in a purge of those who favored a negotiated peace. At the start of World War II, it was used extensively by Churchill and his supporters to silence their opponents. In 1940, any argument against Churchill's aggressive policy was defeatist. Was it right or wrong? Ideally, no one got far enough to ask that. We have such labels today, of course, quite a lot of them, from the all-purpose inappropriate to the dreaded divisive. In any period, it should be easy to figure out what such labels are, simply by looking at what people call ideas they disagree with besides untrue. When a politician says his opponent is mistaken, that's a straightforward criticism. But when he attacks a statement as divisive or ra- racially insensitive, instead of arguing that it's false, we should start paying attention. So another way to figure out which of our taboos future generations will laugh at is to start with the labels. Take a label, sexist, for example, and try to think of some ideas that would be called that. Then for each ask, might this this be true? Just start listing ideas at random. Yes, because they won't really be random. The ideas that come to mind first will be the most plausible ones. They'll be things you've already noticed but didn't let yourself think. In 1989, some clever researchers tracked the eye movements of radiologists as they scanned chest images for signs of lung cancer. They found that even when the radiologist missed a cancerous lesion, their eyes had usually paused at the sight of it. Part of their brain knew there was something there, it just didn't percolate all the way up to the conscious knowledge. I think many interesting heretical thoughts are already mostly formed in our minds. If we turn off our self-censorship temporarily, those will be the first to emerge so you know what jumps out at me right away you know he's talking about these names like uh, blasphemy sacrilege heresy you know what's the they don't use these anymore but what's the words they use disinformation misinformation, Mis- misinformation. you're conspiracy not e- conspiracy theory you're not even um allowed to talk because now the labels there and if mm-hmm. you try to argue the side of the the of the the data, mm-hmm. then, or of the argument, then you're considered a a disinformationist, or you're considered a a tinfoil hat wearing conspiracy theorist. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, so this just. Pulls over perfectly to what we're seeing. They've just and isn't it interesting too that they've really created new terms because, as he says here, these old terms really have lost their their power. Mm-hmm. You know, they're really only used ironically, so they needed to coin new terms for that. Any anything else on your your side there?
1: No, I think it's he's right on. I I feel like we're it's like we've been stuck in Groundhog Day. Right. Because it's the same... Am
0: I looking like Bill Murray to you?
1: Yeah. (laughs) It's the same... I mean, it's the same shenanigans happening over and over again. I mean, I was telling you the other day about my realization since I moved here, you know, 20-some years ago. How many things have happened? Y2K... It was the war, 9/11, the weapon the war. of the weapons of mass destruction. destruction. You could not speak of weapons of mass destruction. Yeah, you
0: you were a, a, not uh, patriotic.
1: Not patriotic. Well, what was the what was the language back then?
0: It was um, well. If you're not with, if you
1: question anything, people would be like, "Why did you even move here?" If you're not with, should with have a, yeah, in your country.
0: You you had that happen to you. <laughs> oh, if yes. if you're not with us, you're against us.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: It's the same techniques over and over again. All right, well, let's let's keep going here. This is good stuff. Time and space. If we could look into the future, it would be obvious which of our taboos they'd laugh at. We can't do that, but we can do something almost as good. We can look into the past. Another way to figure out what we're getting wrong is to look at what used to be acceptable and and is now unthinkable. Changes between the past and the present sometimes do represent progress. In a field like physics, if we disagree with past generations, it's because we're right and they're wrong. But this becomes rapidly less true as you move away from the certainty of the hard sciences. By the time you get to social questions, many changes are just fashion. The age of consent fluctuates like hemlines. We may imagine that we are a great deal smarter and more virtuous than past generations, But the more history you read, the less likely this seems. People in past times were much like us, not heroes, not barbarians. Whatever their ideas were, they were ideas reasonable people could believe. So here is another source of interesting heresies. Uh, Different present ideas against those of various past cultures and see what you get Some will be shocking by present standards. Okay, fine. But which might also be true? You don't have to look into the past to find big differences. In our own time, different societies have wildly varying ideas of what's okay and what isn't. So you can try diffing other cultures' ideas against ours as well. The best way to do that is to visit them. Any idea that's considered harmless in a significant percentage of times and places, and yet is taboo in ours, is a candidate for something we're mistaken about. For example, at the high watermark of political correctness in the early 90s, Harvard distributed to its faculty and staff a brochure saying, among other things, that it was inappropriate to compliment a colleague or student's clothes. No more nice shirt. I think this principle is rare among the world's cultures, past or present. There are probably more where it's considered especially polite to compliment someone's clothing than where it's considered improper. Odds are this is in a mild form. An example of one of the taboos a visitor from the future would have to be careful to avoid if he happened to set his time machine for Cambridge, Massachusetts, 1992. Prigs. Of course, if they have time machines in the future, they'll probably have a separate reference manual just for Cambridge. This has always been a fussy place, a town of I-daughters and T-crossers where you're liable to get both your grammar and your ideas corrected in the same conversation. And that suggests another way to find taboos. Look for prigs. And see what's inside their heads. Kids' heads are repositories of all our taboos. It seems fitting to us that kids' ideas should be bright and clean. The picture we give them of the world is not merely simplified to suit their developing minds, but sanitized as well to suit our ideas of what kids ought to think. You can see this on a small scale in the matter of dirty words. A lot of my friends are starting to have children now, and they're all trying to not to use words like fuck and shit within baby's hearing. Less babies start using these words too. But these words are part of the language and adults use them all the time. So parents are giving their kids an inaccurate idea of the language by not using them. Why do they do this? Because they don't think it's fitting that kids should use the whole language. We like children to seem innocent. Most adults, likewise, deliberately give kids a misleading view of the world. One of the most obvious examples is Santa Claus. We think it's cute for little kids to believe in Santa. I myself think it's cute for little kids to believe in Santa Claus. But one wonders, do we tell them this stuff for their sake or for ours? I'm not arguing for or against the idea here. It is probably inevitable that parents should want to dress up their kids' minds in cute little baby outfits. I'll probably do it myself. The important thing for our purposes is that as a result, a well-brought-up teenage kid's brain is a more or less complete collection of all our taboos. And in mint condition, because they're untainted by experience, whatever we think that will later turn out to be ridiculous, it's almost certainly inside that head. How do we get at these ideas? by the following thought experiment. Imagine a kind of Latter-day Conrad character who has worked for a time as a mercenary in Africa, for a time as a doctor in Nepal, and for a time as a manager of a nightclub in Miami. The specifics don't matter, just someone who has seen a lot. Now imagine comparing what's inside this guy's head with what's inside the head of a well-behaved 16-year-old girl from the suburbs. What does he think that would shock her? He knows the world, she knows, or at least embodies, present taboos, subtract one from the other and the result is what we can't say okay boom i think that was kind of a mic drop there (laughs) well i mean because i think we have a lot of conversations you know we don't necessarily um censor ourselves with our kids Uh, you know i mean (laughs) we'll, we'll, we'll drop i mean i mean sure we censor ourselves but i mean we don't censor it i don't think anywhere near I mean, I can't speak for your parents, but we don't censor anywhere near I think my parents used to censor. I mean, my my parents had to get pretty angry to where we would hear a a curse word. Mm, Your mom? Even my mom, you know, I mean, she might say, damn it or something, but, Uh but, you know, first of all, I I can already tell you right now that, that I only heard my, uh, I only heard the F word one time in the entire 18 years that I was, you know, living at home from my, from my father. And it was spoken to me, Uh (laughs) you know, and, and, uh, I think I was probably about, uh, probably about 12 or 12 years old or so. I think I was in the sixth or seventh grade and, uh, um, and I remember it very vividly. And I was like, because I certainly knew the word from my friends, but my dad was angry. <laughs> uh-huh. And then I heard it and I was like, oh, okay, I'm screwed. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but I mean, what about you? Did, Because did, uh, obviously I can't tell as much because your folks are always speaking Portuguese. I can't tell whether they're, they're using expletives.
1: I mean, I think maybe my dad, I think they, they did censor themselves. I mean, they, they did fight quite a bit in front of us. But when my dad said things that didn't seem like, you know, acceptable, I would be like, oh, my God, why did he do that?
0: <laughs> well, and, and we're, we're talking about curse words here, but, you know, this this section of the article is really talking about ideas, too, uh-huh. you know what I mean? And I think that we, we talk with the kids about a lot of tough ideas, which is a little bit in conflict to a certain extent with, you know, what we do in Waldorf Education, because I think Waldorf Education is kind of about – you know, creating this protective cocoon, which is not so far keeping off. Keeping
1: the child's innocence. Keeping the child's
0: innocence, possible. yeah. Allows them to grow. And yeah. and and I think when we're they are,
1: when they're um their their brains are developed enough. There are different stages for different things. Yeah. But when they're ready, you know, in their teenage years now they're ready to break things down and be a little more critical in their thinking.
0: But yeah. it is interesting is you will every once in a while see a very clever astute and mature really young person you know and and you'll be like oh my gosh what a savant and you wonder is that person really the super smart gifted person or is it just somebody that raised them differently
1: i mean you can have two kids that are raised by the same parents and they be completely different so i i don't i don't think it's Oh, you are not just a product of your environment but I, I don't believe that that's true
0: well yeah i agree too but but i like what he says at the beginning there you know as far as uh you know he takes the the the, the typical well-behaved 16 year old and then this other person who's lived all these different lives and then you know subtract one from the other and the result is what we can't say you know i mean i don't think it's a hard and fast rule but i think it, it outlines you know the bulk you know that, that I they're...
1: mean, yeah. I guess. Would you say you can't say because of your thoughts of what the other person is gonna think, or because
0: of... right? Because you think it's gonna be unaccepted, and it's gonna it's gonna be it's gonna meet with conflict. I mean, I I think that's where he's going here. Okay. So, all right. Well, let's let's uh, dive in again here. Mechanism. I can think of one more way to figure out what we can't say, to look at how taboos are created. How do moral fashions arise, and why are they adopted? If we can understand this mechanism, we may be able to see it at work in our own time. Moral fashions don't seem to be created the way ordinary fashions are. Ordinary fashions seem to arise by accident when everyone imitates the whim of some influential person. The fashion for broad-toed shoes in late 15th century Europe began because Charles VIII, of France had six toes on one foot. The fashion for the name Gary began when the actor Frank Cooper adopted the name of a tough mill town in Indiana. Moral fashions more often seem to be created deliberately. When there's something we can't say, it's often because some group doesn't want us to. The Prohibition will be strongest when the group is nervous. The irony of Galileo's situation was that he got in trouble for repeating Copernicus' ideas. Copernicus himself didn't. In fact, Copernicus was a canon of a cathedral and dedicated his book to the Pope. But by Galileo's time, the Church was in the throes of the Counter-Reformation and was much more worried about unorthodox ideas. To launch a taboo, a group has to be poised halfway between weakness and power. A confident group doesn't need tabo. Taboos to protect it. It's not considered improper to make disparaging remarks about Americans or the English, and yet a group has to be powerful enough to enforce a taboo. Uh, Coprophiles, as of this writing, don't seem to be numerous or energetic enough to have had their interests promoted to a lifestyle. I suspect the biggest source of moral taboos will turn out to be power struggles in which the side only in which one side only barely has the upper hand. That's where you'll find a group powerful enough to enforce taboos, but weak enough to need them. Most struggles, whatever they're really about, will be cast as struggles between competing ideas. The English Reformation was at bottom a struggle for wealth and power, but it ended up being cast as a struggle to preserve the souls of Englishmen from the corrupting influence of Rome. It's easier to get people to fight for an idea. And whichever side wins, their idea will also be considered to have triumphed, as if God wanted to signal his agreement by selecting that side as the victor. We often like to think of World War II as a triumph of freedom over totalitarianism. We conveniently forget that the Soviet Union was also one of the winners. I'm not saying that struggles are never about ideas, just that they will always be made to seem to be about ideas, whether they are not, whether they are or not. And just as there is nothing so unfashionable as the last, discarded fashion, there is nothing so wrong as the principles of the most recently defeated opponent. Representational art is only now recovering from the approval of both Hitler and Stalin. Although moral fashions tend to arise from different sources than fashions and clothing, the mechanism of their adoption seems much the same. The early adopters will be driven by ambition, self-consciously cool people who want to distinguish themselves from the common herd. As the fashion becomes established, they'll be joined by a second, much larger group, driven by fear. This second group adopt the fashion not because they want to stand out, but because they are afraid of standing out. Where have we heard that before? (laughs) So, if you want to figure out what we can't say, look at the machinery of fashion and try to predict what it would make unsayable. What groups are powerful but nervous, and what ideas would they like to suppress? What ideas were tarnished by association when they ended up on the losing side of a recent struggle? If a self consciously cool person wanted to differentiate himself from preceding fashions, for example, from his parents, which of their ideas ideas would he tend to reject? What are conventional minded people afraid of saying? This technique won't find us all the things we can't say. I can think of some that aren't the result of any recent struggle. Many of our taboos are rooted deep in the past, but this approach, combined with the preceding four, will turn up a good number of unthinkable ideas.
1: Well let's think about, you know, the fashion of covering your face.
0: Well I mean, yeah, I mean that's I'm you know like I, when I heard this podcast when he did this previously you know we obviously were just starting the pandemic and these things didn't even really dawn on me because I don't think we were we were that deep into the mass stuff I mean we we didn't want to do the mass but it wasn't like we thought it was going to go on forever and all that you know we weren't we weren't quite there yet and now that we have this 2 years of reflection you know I mean
1: it was a forced fashion it was the forced. first time I, re- I remember seeing someone in a mask, it was a guy riding a bike <laughs> on the bike trail behind our house. Well, like,
0: like, what is he what? doing, you know? <laughs> I guess he's just trying to get a harder workout, right? Yeah. Less oxygen, more cardio. <laughs> but, I mean, I love that what he says about, you know, there's an initial group, a small group, that actually believes in the ideas, and this other group that comes along is much larger. He
1: believes in the idea? But, I mean...
0: I'm not saying. Who was was the
1: group that believed in this idea?
0: Well, I mean, believed. I mean, it was the it was the the science, right? It was the Fauci. I just
1: saw this meme. It was this dude inside of a cardboard box. covering himself over. Oh, and it was and a bomb shelter? And it said it was a bomb, bomb shelter. shelter. Yeah, I for, saw one. Those, for those that thought that masks were effective, how about this car- cardboard box is a bomb shelter?
0: I saw a similar one where a guy was standing under a jungle gym. You know, it's all open. It's just a cage, right? Uh-huh. <laughs> like it's going to help you from a bomb. You know?
1: But there was something there that said, uh, uh, talked about a slight apprehension
0: Mm. yeah, I mean, you don't remember exactly the point. It was uh,
1: uh, something about they only have a, a slight the the group that censors that does the taboo has only does it because it has a slight upper hand, but it's actually the taboo is covering their weakness.
0: Well, yeah, I mean we that that resonates. Right. I mean the, the 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 taboo, you know, like you we can't talk, you can't question well, the science. Well, you can even
1: you can even talk because your mouth's covered. <laughs> yeah. We so can't really hear you and then you have plexiglass glass in front of you. And then if you dare to say anything as you're getting on the flight, you know, they kick you out.
0: <laughs> yeah. But I mean I, I mean I But think I mean
1: that... would they have to do that if well, the did, idea he, behind it was actually a sound idea that people would be like, Oh yeah. Well he makes
0: that the makes he, he, he makes the points that, that uh, you know the, the strong groups that have the information behind them, they don't need to use taboos. In order to, to protect right, you know right. it, it's really the ones who you can
1: just sit down and talk about it yeah
0: yeah so i mean like i
1: feel i can sit down and talk about i mean i don't know much about the flat earth and even the round earth the, the you know that conversation like he's talking a ton about galileo i could sit down with anybody and talk about it i mean
0: yeah we sat down you... we had that dinner party and then we had some friends that were talking um you know some 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 people who who thought there were merits in Flat Earth and some people who who didn't. And, you know, they were they were I mean they left friends but they were going after each other pretty good and I'm just sitting there like as a fly on the wall I'm like yeah I mean I don't really care you know what I mean I, I'm not going into space mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm pretty sure I'm not gonna have enough money to build a rocket and, and fly away so I mean I'm not sure why I have a dog in the fight you know mm-hmm. um, but a lot of people think oh well it's very important it's very important that, that you that we know exactly what is in the nothing the vast <laughs> nothingness of space um, because it sets up bunch of other uh, concepts but they were they were very much heated about it you know and and it was almost i mean we could talk about it but it was almost like we were we were pushing the edges of of taboo there Mm -hmm. even though we're all very open i think you know the group that we hang out with is 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 fairly Mm -hmm. open by comparison to most groups yeah so all right well let's keep let's keep going here why Some would ask, why would one want to do this? Why deliberately go poking around among nasty, disreputable ideas? Why look under rocks? I do it, first of all, for the same reason I did look under rocks as a kid, plain curiosity. And I'm especially curious about anything that's forbidden. Let me see and decide for myself. Second, I do it because I don't like the idea of being mistaken. If, like other eras, we believe things that will later seem ridiculous, I want to know what they are so that I, at least can avoid believing them third I do it because it's good for the brain to do good work you need a brain that can go anywhere and you especially need a brain that's in the habit of going where it's not supposed to go Great work tends to grow out of ideas that others leave overlooked, and no idea is so overlooked as one that's unthinkable. Natural selection, for example, it's so simple. Why didn't anyone think of it before? Well, that is all too obvious. Darwin himself was careful to tiptoe around the implications of this theory. He wanted to spend his time thinking about biology, not arguing with people who accused him of being an atheist. In the sciences, especially, it's a great advantage to be able to question assumptions, the modus operandi of scientists, or at least of their good ones, is precisely that look for places where conventional wisdom is broken and then try to pry apart the cracks and see what's underneath. What's, that's where new theories come from. A good scientist, in other words, does not merely ignore conventional wisdom, but makes a special effort to break it scientists go looking for trouble. This should be no M.O. of any scholar, but scientists seem much more willing to look under the rocks. Excuse me. Why it could be that the scientists are simply smarter. Most physicists could, if necessary, make it through a Ph.D. program in French literature, but few professors of French literature could make it through a Ph.D. program in physics. Or it could be because it's clearer in the sciences whether theories are true or false, and this makes scientists bolder. Or it could be that because it's clear in the sciences whether theories are true or false, you have to be smart to get jobs as a scientist rather than just a good politician. Whatever the reason, there seems a clear correlation between intelligence and willingness to consider shocking ideas. This isn't just because smart people actively work to find holes in conventional thinking. I think conventions also also have less hold over them to start with. You can see that in the way they dress. It's not only in the sciences that hearsay pays off. In any competitive field, you can win big by seeing things that others daren't. And in every field, there are probably heresies few people utter. Within the U.S. car industry, there is a lot of hand-wringing now about declining market share, yet the the cause is so obvious that any observant outsider could explain it in a second. They make bad cars, and they have for so long that by now the U.S. car brands are anti-brands, something you'd buy a car despite, not because of. Cadillacs stopped being the Cadillac of cars in about 1970, and yet I suspect no one dares say this. Otherwise, these companies would have tried to fix the problem. Training yourself to think unthinkable thoughts has advantages beyond the thoughts themselves. It's like stretching. When you stretch before running, you put your body into positions much more extreme than any than any it will assume during the actual run. If you can think things so outside the box that they'd make people's hair stand on end, you'll have no trouble with the small trips outside the box that people call innovative. Well, this just brings me... Well,
1: I have to say that was a disappointing paragraph.
0: (laughs) Oh, really? I like... What what did
1: you not like? He's saying because scientists are... Gonna come with shocking and daring. I mean, this is a bunch of bullshit. No, 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 no. I, I don't
0: think. I, I, that's not actually what I think he was saying. What I think.
1: I don't know. He was like, because their minds go where. Typical people's minds don't go to. And science is just full of dogma and belief. I mean, they even okay. missed the point. They told. I mean, look at virologists for crying well, out Well, okay,
0: okay. You, you make a good point. Yeah, I, I see that now here. A good scientist, in other oh words, does not merely ignore conventional wisdom, yeah. but makes a special effort to break There's it. There's so... Yeah, give me a what, fucking break. <laughs>
1: what field has more taboo than si- science. the scientific field? Yeah. I mean, he takes... It takes hundreds of years for an idea that it, I mean, it did in the past, hopefully with technology, that's not going to be the case. But for ideas like scurvy, for crying out loud, how many centuries did they believe it was a contagious disease? Well,
0: the gut brain connection, right? We've now known that since the 90s. And you're just starting to really, uh, when you go into maybe the doctor's office, maybe one in 10 doctors will bring up. The gut flora in some way because, and it's probably mainly because there are so many products on the market now. It's hard to avoid, you know, all this probiotic and everything. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere.
1: Which, that's terrain. terrain. No, yeah. no,
0: I know that, but I'm saying, <laughs> I, I'm saying though, they can't, they actually can't ignore it anymore because it's, it's so prevalent out there with the products that well, pervade we the marketplace.
1: Don't go conventional doctors either. So
0: we don't, we don't. But, but I, I agree with what you're saying there. But I mean, I think he's got a lot of good stuff. Like he's talking about. Uh, now, remember, this was written in '04 cadillac was really a struggling brand back then i will say you know i i, I know my dad might be listening to this he was mm-hmm. in the automotive industry cadillacs come a long way and they're mm-hmm. they've brought their their uh their name nice. way back up yeah, yeah. but but uh, they did go through a phase where i remember it's like who in their right mind would 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 buy a I cadillac mean, but and spend even that if money it
1: was in the early 2000s i mean that you went through the aids crisis right there Where it was you look at the history of that and it's That's just uh, uh, a coronavirus, like repeated history. They're even trying to sprinkle AIDS in this whole thing now.
0: No, and... Yeah, good point. But but I I do think that you you call out uh, a, a good criticism there because what he's saying here is that if scientists were actually doing what they're supposed to be doing, uh-huh. then that w- then this would be true. So there, they're where they are supposed to be making a special effort to break conventional wisdom, they don't want to be
1: ridiculed and cast out. Yeah, b- because so they're it's why. an industry
0: funded by. Big Pharma yeah. and Big Pharma wants to keep the paradigm in place. And so they won't fund you if you're going against conventional wisdom because conventional wisdom is making a shitload of money.
1: Mm-hmm. All right. Like, think about a data scientist for crying out loud. You, you can only really l- use the data you collect certain ways. Like, you can't just go and see, well, let's check if the shit the healthcare, uh, the healthcare system is doing actually works. Does it cause more harm than it doesn't? They're not gonna look at that stuff.
0: Yeah, it's frustrating. All right, let's let's let's, let's rock it here, Pensieri Stretti. When you find something you can't say, what do you do with it? My advice is don't say it, or at least pick your battles. Suppose in the future there is movement to ban the color yellow. Proposals to paint anything yellow are denounced as yellowist, as is anyone suspected of liking the color. People who like orange are tolerated but viewed with suspicion. Suppose you realize there is nothing wrong with yellow. If you go around saying this, you'll be denounced as a yellowist too, and you'll find yourself having a lot of arguments with anti yellowists. If your aim in life is to rehabilitate the color yellow, that may be what you want. But if you're mostly interested in other questions, being labeled as a yellowist will just be a distraction. Argue with idiots and you become an idiot. The most important thing is to be able to think what you want, not to say what you want. And if you feel you have to say everything you think, it may inhibit you from thinking improper thoughts. I think it's better to follow the opposite policy, draw a sharp line between your thoughts and your speech. Inside your head, anything is allowed. Within my head, I make a point of encouraging the most outrageous thoughts I can imagine. But as a, but as in a secret society, nothing that happens within the building should be told to outsiders. The first rule of Fight Club is, you do not talk about Fight Club. When Milton was going to visit Italy in the 1630s, Sir Henry Wooten, who had been ambassador to Venice, told him his motto should be, I pensieri stretti and il viso. Close thoughts and an open face. Smile at everyone and don't tell them what you're thinking. This was wise advice. Milton was an argumentative fellow, and the Inquisition was a bit restive at the time. But I think the difference between Milton's situation and ours is only a matter of degree. Every era has its heresies, and if you don't get imprisoned for them, you will at least get in enough trouble that it becomes a complete distraction. I admit it seems cowardly to keep quiet. When I read about the harassment to which the Scientologists subject their critics, or that pro-Israel groups are compiling dossiers on those who speak out against Israeli human rights abuses, or about people who being sued for violating the DMCA, part of me wants to say, all right, you bastards, bring it on. The problem is there are so many things you can't say. If you said them all, you'd have no time left for your real work. You'd have to turn into Noam Chomsky. The trouble with keeping your thoughts secret, though, is that you lose the advantages of discussion. Talking about an idea leads to more ideas. So the optimal plan, if you can manage it, is to have a few trusted friends you can speak openly to. This is not just a way to develop ideas. It's also a good rule of thumb for choosing friends. The people you can say heretical things to without getting jumped on are also the most interesting to know. Well, I mean, I think we know that's true.
1: I mean, you can have a small it seemed like he was endorsing censorship of it there. For no, no, no. A he he I'm like
0: Well no but well, well well did you get what he was saying? He was saying that if you're constantly going out and fighting every battle, you won't win it you won't win any battle. Where is your real work? I mean, I think we always come back to our real work is our kids. You know, and yeah. so so if we go out there and fight you know um you know whatever uh, 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 I mean just think of something outlandish um.
1: I mean we can talk about the content okay the content of what you are quote-unquote fighting about and you can also talk about I think that what it's missing in this article is a little bit of um, substance maybe spirituality because I mean there are ways different ways of saying the same thing so how, where is that coming from? Is it coming from a, a place of judgment where you're just oh you're stupid because you At think, you think that wearing a mask protects you against the invisible virus? You know, there's a way to say that. There's a way to basically say, okay, what is this doing? Let's let's inspect the properties of this device and see if they would actually. Uh, fulfill a purpose the purpose that is supposed to fulfill let's have a let's have a discussion about that why can we have a discussion about that right
0: well but remember he's also talking about your 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 close circle where you can throw those ideas around right, and play I mean, with them
1: why do you need a, a close circle
0: well, are you going to have that conversation that conversation about uh you know uh vaccine injury with the cashier at
1: why not? Well, I, mean, I don't know. I'm, I'm asking, isn't it complicated? Really isn't it
0: complicated?
1: I guess it could be complicated, but I don't see why you couldn't have. I mean, complicated. The, the vaccines have toxins in them. Let's talk about it has all these ingredients. They're toxic. There's warning labels on them with skull and bones. On them. <laughs> you know, I mean, it doesn't have to be complicated, but I mean, I think the heart of the matter is how you say it. Right? Where are you coming from? Are you coming from a a loving place or are you coming from a judgmental place? And if you give a shit about what people think of you or not, about your ideas, you know? And I think that's the heart of the matter. And he does not talk about
0: that. Well, not yet, but maybe. Mm -hmm. Okay, here, let's move on. Viso Sciolto. I don't think we need the viso Sculto so much as the pensieri stretti. Perhaps the best policy is to make it plain that you don't agree with whatever zealotry is current in your time, but not to be too specific about what you disagree with. Zealots will try to draw you out, but you don't have to answer them. If they try to force you to treat a question on their terms by asking, are you with us or against us, you can always just answer neither. Better still, answer, I haven't decided. That's what Larry Summers did when a group tried to put him in this position. Explaining himself later, he said, I don't do litmus tests. A lot of the questions people get hot about are actually quite complicated. There is no prize for getting the answer quickly. If the anti-Yellowists seem to be getting out of hand and you want to fight back, there are ways to do it without getting yourself accused of being a Yellowist. Like skirmishers in an ancient army, you want to avoid directly engaging the main body of the enemy's troops, better to harass them with arrows from a distance. One way to do this is to ratchet the debate up one level of abstraction. If you argue against censorship in general, you can avoid being accused of whatever heresy is contained in the book or film that someone is trying to censor. You can attack labels with meta-labels, labels that refer to the use of labels to prevent discussion. The spread of the term political correctness meant the beginning of the of political correctness because it enabled one to attack the phenomenon as a whole without being accused of any of the specific heresies it sought to suppress. Another way to counterattack is with metaphor. Arthur Miller undermined the House Un-American Activities Committee by writing a play, *The Crucible*, about the Salem witch trials. He never referred directly to the committee and so gave them no way to reply. What about Huac do? Defend the Salem Witch Trials. And yet Miller's metaphor stuck so well that to this day, the activities of the committee are often described as a witch hunt. Best of all, probably, is humor. Zealots, whatever their cause, invariably lack a sense of humor. They can't reply in kind to jokes. They're as unhappy on the territory of humor as a mounted knight on a skating rink. Victorian prudishness, for example, seems to have been defeated mainly by treating it as a joke. Likewise, its reincarnation as Political correctness. I am glad that I managed to write the Crucible. Arthur Miller wrote, but looking back, I have often wished I'd had the temperament to do an absurd comedy, which is what the situation deserved. So, I mean, I think that's. Um,
1: so, is he talking about diplomacy and strategy, or is he talking about manipulation?
0: Well, I mean, I think what he's what he's saying is is that when you get trapped in a specific case anyone has the right to believe that that has merit or not the the specific instance but the you know like maybe a specific instance of censorship of something like whether it be um, um, you know child pornography or whatever they have they have the right to make the case one way or the other but here what he's saying is 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 don't Go down that path. That's where they want you to go and argue the morality of the specificity. And you're where you're better suited is arguing the the maxim, which is uh, uh, censorship in general. You know, is, is, is how, how does I mean, censorship in I, general how is that productive? I
1: guess it might be more effective, but it still sounds a little bit manipulative to me because you were doing it in a way instead of just sitting down and you know, seeking to come to a level ground, you were here going around the subject. You're not really you know, it just seems a little inauthentic to me. It might be true, it might be effective, I don't know. But it just feel like, yeah, you talk about everything but the elephant in the room.
0: Well, I mean I I, I don't know, I disagree. I I, th- I actually do that myself as I look at the 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 mechanistic properties rather than the 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 specificity of the of the exact situation and say okay well look well how does this work in repeated fashion it doesn't work in repeated fashion so i mean you're
1: well do you have an example
0: well i mean we just talked about censorship you know so so i mean i personally
1: censorship specific to what
0: well I, i mean what what is is there anything that you believe should be censored
1: no, I so, t- so just
0: pick something, pick something I, that you believe should be censored.
1: No, I don't think anything should be censored.
0: Well, I believe things should be censored. Like, like I used the, use the example of child pornography. I don't think that should be on Facebook or I don't think it should well, be on... Well, but then
1: you're never tackling the issue that is happening. And then you can't, how are you going to do anything about it if you can't even talk about it? But I mean, you it?
0: can't allow a child to be uh, put out there, you know, for the... Because for the, he didn't, he or she didn't agree to to uh, uh, be in that video. Oh,
1: but I think the root problem of child pornography is that exact issue of it's taboo. Nobody talks about it. And so it's been operating for, you know, God knows how long.
0: Well, I mean, it's a good point. You can't ever call someone out on, because the only time people would believe that child pornography is happening is if they actually yeah. saw it. And and because- You
1: don't have direct experience. Yeah,
0: you don't have direct experience. So, um, and you can feel the taboo nature just I mean, of talking yeah, about it, right? I
1: mean, I've known people that have been abused and their abusers never paid for
0: it, what and, they've done. And, and what was and it- And they it,
1: continue to abuse other people. And it was
0: because nobody wanted to talk about it.
1: Yeah. You know,
0: it's, it's better just to suppress the idea than to actually, uh, you know, uh, con- conflict with it uh-huh. head on. I
1: mean, it took a pact with a drug cartel to get the person exposed to mean, The police didn't want to touch it. Nobody wanted to touch it. it you had to, like, join forces with evil <laughs> to be able to expose evil. It's, like, ridiculous.
0: All right, well, hey, we are heading up the pass, and then we can kind of look at this in whole, okay? All right, here we are. This is last section here, okay, guys, the big finale. A.B.Q. A Dutch friend says I should use Holland as an example of a tolerant society. It's true they have a long tradition of comparative open-mindedness. For centuries, the Low Countries were the place to go to say things you couldn't say anywhere else, and this helped to make the region a center of scholarship and industry, which have been closely tied for longer than most people realize. Descartes, though claimed by the French, did much of his thinking in Holland. And yet, I wonder, the Dutch seem to live their lives up to their necks in rules and regulations. There's so much you can't do there. Is there really nothing you can't say? Certainly the fact that they value open-mindedness is no guarantee. Who thinks they're not open-minded? Our hypothetical prim miss from the suburbs thinks she's open-minded. Hasn't she been taught to be? Ask anyone, and they'll say the same thing. They're pretty open-minded, though they draw the line at things that are really wrong. Some tribes may avoid wrong as a judgmental and may instead use the more neutral-sounding euphemism like negative or destructive. When people are bad at math, they know it because they get the wrong answers on tests. But when people are bad at open-mindedness, they don't know it. In fact, they tend to think the opposite. Remember, it's the nature of fashion to be invisible. It wouldn't work otherwise. Fashion doesn't seem like fashion to someone in the grip of it. It just seems like the right thing to do. It's only by looking from a distance that we can see oscillations in people's ideas of the right thing to do. and can identify them as fashions. Time gives us such distance for free. Indeed, the arrival of new fashions makes old fashions easy to see because they seem so ridiculous by contrast. From one end of the pendulum swing, the other end seems especially far away. To see fashion in your own time, though, requires a conscious effort. Without time to give you distance, you have to create distance yourself. Instead of being part of the mob, stand as far away from it as you can and watch what it's doing. and pay especially close attention whenever an idea is being suppressed web filters for children and employees often ban sites containing pornography violence and hate speech what counts as pornography and violence and what exactly is hate speech this sounds like a phrase out of 1984 labels like that are probably the biggest external clue if a statement is false that's the worst thing you can say about it you don't need to say that it's heretical and if it's isn't false, it shouldn't be suppressed. So when you see statements being attacked as Xist or Yic, substitute your current values of X and Y. Whether in 1630 or 2030, that's a sure sign that something is wrong. When you hear such labels being used, ask why, especially if you hear yourself using them. It's not just the mob you need to learn to watch from the distance. You need to be able to watch your own thoughts from a distance. That's not a radical idea, by the way. It's the main difference between children and adults. When a child gets angry because he's tired, he doesn't know what's happening. An adult can distance himself. Himself enough from the situation to say, never mind, I'm just tired. I don't see why one couldn't, by similar process, learn to recognize and discount the effects of moral fashions. You have to take that extra step if you want to think clearly, but it's harder because now you're working against social customs instead of within them. Everyone encourages you to grow up to the point where you can discount your own bad moods. Few encourage you to Continue to the point where you can discount society's bad moods. How can you see the wave when you're the water? Always be questioning. That's the only defense. What can't you say, and why?
1: Yeah. Why can't you say and why? Yeah.
0: Well, I mean, I think we're we're in the land of what you can't say. You know, you can't you can't question um, Ukraine. You know, you can't you can't say, OK, is is it uh, what what makes this incursion by Russia different from our incursions in, you know, the U.S.'s incursions into all these these uh, uh, countries that, you know, full of uh, of Arab people and whatnot. You know, what, what what's the difference? Because be, is it OK? Because uh, those places were were more um, uh, destitute, you know, than, than Ukraine. I, I don't know. I mean, and that may not even be true you know
1: that's what i was about you know? to say there's always a story
0: yeah i mean it's a it's a moral relativism and you're
1: not there so how are you going to verify you,
0: it you can't you know yeah. and uh and it's hard not to get wrapped up into it you know the the comedy of it all the the um you know the the there's just so many punchlines in this whole thing and you know we find ourselves you know like even on the telegram channel you know we're still you know, we we like to laugh. We'll throw some memes in there, and and well, then we are uh,
1: shying away of speaking. We're shying of away current yeah. events because what's the point? It's just a repeat of what already happened.
0: Yeah, and if people aren't seeing the patterns, I don't know what to, to do at I this mean, point.
1: It's hard because it gets sucked into it.
0: You do, you do, and and the the Telegram channels. Um, I, I guess we. I can see the path as far as talking about these things here verbally and kind of working through these ideas and stuff. It's a little harder to do that in the Telegram channel. The Telegram channel is more of a dissemination of, of uh, you know, articles and memes and things like that. So it's, it's, um, I don't know, I find it a little more challenging for myself to, to make that a little bit more productive. I think we probably should, mm-hmm. though.
1: Oh, yeah, you didn't even say it the plug about the telegram oh yeah hey the video, telegram group true.
0: hey that great segue there see that was actually <laughs> by design join us at the telegram channel the collective resistance podcast on telegram um but yeah no but i mean i i now, think
1: there's one current event i would like to talk about and i think we're running out of time but it was the executive order on the crypto space which i don't even know what happened there?
0: <laughs> well, and, and and they actually even kind of retracted a portion of that because they didn't want it to be uh, um, in public they yet. They, the government, the the, the actual executive so order. So they
1: passed the executive order. Yeah, and, didn't and then, the it, got, to and then see it got it?
0: and then it got and then it got some of it got like like redacted or something. So I mean, I mean, there.
1: You it, mean like it was it's essentially? There, well, look, but I read we can't it. See
0: I, it. I I read it. There, there's there's some there. Essentially, what it is is is. Uh, Biden is saying that we are we recognize the importance and the potential risks of cryptocurrency, and so we are putting the task force together to look at you know everywhere it impacts us as uh, you know uh, uh, people who who are transacting daily and who need safe. Um, systems and all you know i mean i mean obviously i'm paraphrasing but it's it's basically him saying we're going to look into it you know and then and then uh, use that data to put any regulations in place that will keep you safe
1: <laughs> of course <laughs> you know
0: so so i think the 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 bad news is still to come it is just you know he's saying look expect it here in the near future you know that, mm. that we'll be coming what forward do you think
1: the that? bad news would be I mean, I don't can, they, know. can they really regulate it?
0: Well, I mean, you know, the thing is, is that when everything's on the blockchain, you can see the path of anything. So like if you put money into Coinbase, right, Coinbase knows who you are because you have to give them your information to have uh-huh. a Coinbase account. You know, they are, they are a regulated uh, corporation. And then, um, you know, I will, I will buy on Coinbase initially, right, Bitcoin or Ethereum, and then I will send it off. To a private wallet. Now, once it gets to a private wallet, you know there's no um, there's no oversight as far as the wallet reporting back to the IRS or whatever. Mm -hmm. As far as what the transactions are, it's really you know your your um, uh, what are they called? I mean,
1: you could assume this person sent the money to this wallet, but it's probably their wallet. Whatever their wallet does, it's probably what they're doing.
0: Yeah, I mean, you don't, that, that's the thing is, it, it, the, the wallet is not registered to you, meaning it doesn't have your name mm-hmm. anywhere on you it. You can establish so, a
1: point of origin.
0: Yeah, so, so they can see, if they can see your Coinbase wallet, they can see that you sent this money to this wallet, and then they can see what that wallet's doing. Mm-hmm. But but what they can't really do is prove that that's your wallet right now. So the, the the question is, is, you know, um, and then there's no limit to the number of wallets you can have. Right. Right. So, you know, I, I don't know. It, it'll be interesting to see what they do with that. And and that's on an open chain, right? There are privacy coins, you know, mm-hmm. where you can't see into mm-hmm. the wallet to see what's going on. So, you know, right now it's basically the honor system. You know, that you're going to report back to the IRS and whatnot. And, and I think that they're using maybe more of a fear construct right now because they, they don't necessarily have a way to do that. But I think that what they are trying to work out with these organizations like Coinbase is like a, uh, they're casting a net out there to grab, okay, what wallets are connected to these wallets that we do know. Who these people are, and now then we have that data to potentially populate a database to say, okay, this could be this person's wallet; It most likely is, and what are they doing with their money? Mm-hmm. You know, so so that'll be interesting to see where that shakes out. But um, and you know, we're in a lull, obviously, in the market as a result of that, and the the you know, I'm using air quotes the war, um, you know, the gas prices, all of that. So so I mean, it's gonna be um, it's gonna be an interesting shakeout. I guess
1: inflation is real. We have direct experience with that. <laughs> well, yeah, no, I mean, I mean,
0: inflation, no joke, right? I mean, I think it was like 7.4, 7.5%, which is the highest, or maybe it was 7.8. It, it was ridiculous. But, um, you know, th- this is something where they print as much money as they're printing, and it's not really going to stop. You know, I, I just don't see how that ends, because nobody's putting constraints on the system. So I don't know how that ends well for people who are fully in the fiat currency. I, mm-hmm. I just, you know, you got to have an outlet. It, it may not have need to be your primary, but you you, you need to have an outlet that's off of that system mm-hmm. because uh, that system can't sustain, you know, when, when, what was it? Something like 60 or 70% of the dollars ever created have been created in the last couple of years. Yeah. You know, that, that is unsustainable. Right. Mm-hmm. And so even though the crypto market is, is taking a little bit of a popularity hit at the moment, um, that pendulum's going to swing it's going to swing hard and so uh, you you'd best be taking your opportunity right now to uh uh dive in and, and assume your 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 position <laughs>
1: <laughs> all right and as you said there's a low right so good time to to buy
0: yeah a low yeah the, the everything is uh is down fairly everything significant is discounted. <laughs> it's discounted. So it's on sale
1: uh,
0: it's on sale so alright well I was I was glad we got to do that episode I know that yeah. was kind of ad hoc you know but mm-hmm. we hope you guys found that interesting I was happy to get through it in, in just a little bit over an hour and uh, Fabby, what do you want to tell everybody
1: hey everybody stay healthy stay safe and as the article said you know question everything stay curious stay curious, curious.